Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Ross-Gem, and I'll be your host. Hi, everyone. Today on the podcast, my guest is Suzanne Navas. She is a triathlete, a mom, and is getting another master's degree, and this time in clinical mental health counseling. She works as a health coach for a large company and has a very inspiring story. Hi, Suzanne. I'm very delighted to have you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. I want to have you introduce yourself to the audience first. How about your name, your sobriety date, and a little bit about yourself, your family, your hobbies, and and what you do for a living. Sure. So I'm Suzanne Navas. Um, My sobriety date, I guess, is December 6, 2015. Um, I live in the D.C. area with my family. Um, My husband and I have been married for 24 years now. We have two kids and they're teenagers, 17 and 20. Well, one teenager, one adult, I guess. And um, (laughs) yes. So I, so as far as hobbies go, I am a triathlete. I've been a triathlete since age 35, late wow. comer into it. And I'm a runner and I also practice and teach yoga. Um, yes, yeah, so I have a, I love tennis. I never seem to have enough time for all that stuff though. I'm actually back in school right now. I'm getting another master's degree. So I don't oh, know if we can what? consider that a hobby. <laughs> Um, it's a, in clinical mental health counseling. Wow. Yeah. So I do that. It's a full-time program. It is online, which it's a very fortunate that I applied to this even before the pandemic hit where everything went online. I was already online with my studies. And so I'm doing that and then working part-time also as a health coach for a big medical group. So yeah, I'm pretty busy. Yes, clearly you are. I remember going back to school. I was in my 40s and I went back while working full time, raising a family, exercising every day. And the first four year degree, my undergrad was in psychology and I went to class and it was so labor intensive because you're constantly driving to get there. You had to go at specific time. And then for my master's, I did go back for my master's, which took me another like two and a half years. And I went online and it was so, it wasn't any easier, but it, but it saved a lot of time because I could, I could do it on my own time, but it really taught me to communicate so succinctly in Mm -hmm. writing because you have to respond to a certain number of posts, plus you have to make your own posts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because when you're writing, you have to be so clear about what you're saying because they don't have the benefit of like your sparkling personality or listening to the tone of voice or seeing that you're really kidding or that sort of thing. You know, you have to be so careful with the written word about what you're saying. Would you agree? 
Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah, especially in this day and age, right? Yes. <laughs> Don't want to offend people. Yeah. But you still have to read the same amount of books, the mm-hmm. same amount of writing, like 20 page papers at the end of every term and all of that stuff. So um, good for you mm-hmm. for juggling all that. I bet you're a great role model for your kids who are also having to go online and do a lot of work during the pandemic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we honestly, it's been... Uh, I've had so many moments where I'm just so grateful for, you know, so many things, especially in the last year, you know, so grateful to be sober during the pandemic when it seems like everybody or most people are going the opposite direction. And then on top of it, to be able to have this flexibility. I mean, at one point, the four of us actually went to Puerto Rico for five weeks And because we were all online. So we're like, well, we might as well be online somewhere that is beautiful. (laughs) And then, uh, and then we came back for a couple of months and then three of us, not the college kid, but the other three of us, we went back for a few more weeks. So, so it's definitely been, uh, you know, one of the pluses of being remote is just like you said, not having to commute places, but then also being able to just be so flexible. Yeah, flexibility. And but geez, that's got to be hard to suddenly be able to concentrate in such a beautiful place. Like when you're feeling <laughs> like you're on vacation and you have to write a 20 page paper. Uh Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, trust me. There were times where I was sitting on the beach with my laptop and I had one eye on my son who was surfing because I didn't want to miss, you know, if he yeah. got a good wave and then the other eye is writing the paper. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of, um, in some ways, it's more stressful for sure because you want to well, be fully discipline. present and you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time I was doing a, a class and they don't care that you're going on vacation, but I went yeah. to Hawaii and I had a 17 year old daughter with us at the time. Was she that old? Maybe 16? I don't know. Anyways, and she or we, you know, had such a good time, but I had some stuff that was due and I had to work and it was it was difficult to try to focus on that, but it does cause you another level of discipline and helps you to, you know, get just that much farther into seriousness of what it is that you want to do in the world and clinical health counseling. Like that's huge. That's really awesome that you're doing that because there's so much need out there as we've seen with, you know, not only suicide, suicide rate, rising dramatically, but also, you know, package stores, sales have gone through the roof and um, yeah, yeah, that coping mechanisms are, are a lot to be desired in this country, at least um, probably in the world. So, but let's Suzanne jump in a little bit. I want you to share what happened. Like, how did you figure out you were an alcoholic? What happened in your life and how did you get into sobriety? Um, well, I'm going to start off by saying I do not have a, a, a dramatic Hollywood story of, you know, <laughs> that's okay. Rock that bottom, but, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's probably, um, so basically when I, when I would, when I think back on the way I was drinking, it was honestly no different from what most other moms are doing. You know, it's, it was basically when we socialize, go out to dinner, travel, I don't know, eat pizza. So there was nothing, 
uh, I, I wasn't, I know a lot of people when you have in your mind somebody who, um, you, you mentioned an alcoholic. I, I'm not a huge fan of that word for various reasons that I can talk about at some point, but you know, when I think about people with problematic drinking, we typically think of somebody who gets up at 8 a.m. and starts drinking um, or who drinks copious amounts of alcohol. And for me, it wasn't that. It was more that, um, yeah, there were times when I would definitely overdo it. There were times when I realized that, gosh, I can't remember the last time I didn't have one drink, you know, with dinner or whatever. Um, and it was more like at the time I was already doing a lot, I was considered a, a role model in our community of health and wellness. And I was doing a lot of coaching and I had a um, tri triathlon camp for kids every summer and, you know, all these different things that I was doing uh, in the community and also, I guess, more business wise. And so people thought of me as this role model. And at the same time, I felt like I had this secret, like this thing that was, um, that I wasn't fully open about because I started as I learned more about health and wellness and so on, I became more and more aware of the fact that alcohol really is not good for you, no matter what the marketing tells us. Um, and so I felt like I was not, I was kind of being a fraud and especially my children were at the time, my son was sixth grade, my daughter was in ninth grade. And so they're getting all this information at school and in other places that, hey, drinking and other, you know, alcohol and other drugs are bad for your brain, bad for your body, blah, 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 don't drink, don't use and so on. And yet whenever we socialized, we were drinking. And sometimes, you know, my kids started becoming aware of how maybe not so much with me and my husband, but maybe some of our friends, how they were definitely being loud and, oh, so-and-so was drunk. And, and so I became really self-conscious about that. And at the same time, there was so much stuff going on in the world. This was in 2015, uh, more and more, more like polarization among people. And my husband at the time was traveling constantly back and forth to Europe for work and so on. And, and I was just getting more and more, um, I guess, tired, you know, I was just, I was stretched, I was pulled in all these different directions. Um, anyway, so I just became more and more uneasy with my own choices and what I started to, I don't remember if I thought of it then, but I afterwards recognized as sort of a cognitive dissonance where on the one hand, I knew something. On the other hand, I wasn't behaving aligned with those thoughts and beliefs. And so, but I felt stuck. And so, um, because like I sort of touched on earlier, we do, and you did too, we live in this alcocentric culture. And so no matter what show you're watching on Netflix, no matter what invitation you get, um, everything, even like school fundraisers, they're all centered on alcohol. And so all of a sudden I was like, okay, I really, I know that I shouldn't be, you know, drinking, but, but the only example I had of people who weren't drinkers were what I would put into the, um, I hate to say this, I don't want to offend anyone, but I'm going to say it like boring category, you know, like, oh, yeah, people, I know, totally. Yeah. We would all say the same thing. Oh, yeah. Like, it's what like the people, people do. 
like, I know. you know, play bingo. I mean, <laughs> right. I had no, I was clueless about it too. Yes. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like, yeah, you're not alone. You know, I, I think. No, I mean, I thought of myself and I still do. Um, I thought of myself as somebody who was fun and adventurous and maybe a little bit of wild and crazy. Mm-hmm. And the and that did not um, reconcile with also this like sobriety person. And so I had no examples of this. And um, and so it was basically like really I felt stuck. Like, how do I go to dinner? My husband and I, you know, we we've drank together since we met. So how do I go on vacation? You know, all these different things. And so I started to, so like I said, I felt stuck. And then one day I was just exhausted and I like physically, mentally, I was just totally exhausted. And at that point I realized out of everything that's going on in my life and in the world, um, there's one thing that can probably be edited, definitely be edited, and that is drinking. There's so many other things I cannot control whether or not I choose to put something in my body and my brain that impacts my sleep, that makes me feel bloated, that makes me feel like a hypocrite, mm-hmm. you know, that affects my energy levels, blah, blah, blah. Um, that I can definitely, um, I can make a choice around. And And there were little things along the way, like there's one time where somebody sent out a post or I saw I saw maybe it was in a newspaper I don't know what it was but they were there was a child that needed a liver transplant and then it I had no idea who this kid was but when I read that I was like oh I probably would not qualify for that you know mm-hmm. donation and so there were little things like that that's that really they chipped at my sense of integrity they made me realize that I wasn't living aligned with my values and so, so that's when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to take a break. And that I did it very quietly, didn't announce to anyone, nothing. I just said, I'm just going to take a break from drinking, but this break is going to be different from the previous ones. Cause before when I ha- would have big races, I would take a break for like a month or a few weeks. This time I said, I'm going to do, I'm going to explore what recovery is. So, and then I used the excuse since I was already a coach, I used the excuse of, well, if people need help in this area, I want to be able to tell them what tools and resources are out there. So I sort of used myself as a guinea pig. Perfect. And so I went and, yeah, so I went and I explored other, you know, options. And then now five and a half years later, I'm still on this break. And uh, so, yeah, so this is how it happened, I guess. And what, so was that okay with your husband? Did he also uh, quit or did that affect him and in the family culture? That is a great question. Um, so he, like I said, he was traveling a lot. So he would come back from Europe, you know, like a week later after I made this decision and didn't tell him. And then he came back and he's, you know, pouring me a glass of wine. I'm like, no, I'm good. Thanks. He's like, really? And I go, yeah, I'm taking a break. He's like, oh, and then the next day, same thing. And he goes, so how long is this break going to be? And so I said, I don't know. I just don't like the way I've been or who I've turned into. And I'm just taking a break. And he's like, oh, okay. But he really was like, I don't know what's going on here. And this is, you know, right before the holidays and Christmas. And so, you know, most people would say right before the holidays is like the worst time 
to or th there's never a good time right no, it's Christmas it's like Valentine's Day it's St. Patrick's Day it's summer you know it's never a good time there's always not, a good excuse yeah. to drink yeah. if you want to drink yes yeah yeah right. so so it was it was actually but to fully answer your question um my husband now has not a drink in over three years. Oh, wow. Okay. And so what happened for him was I never said any, because I know this is a really tricky um, thing for a lot of people when their spouse or partner doesn't, you know, participate in that. But it's, um, but because of what I do as a coach and, and you know, I guess you, you would consider some leadership stuff, I'm out there on Facebook and social media about the health side of, of sobriety and so on. And I guess he started to, he was, he always looks at what I do. I never directly said to him anything, um, but he watches and so on. And then one day we were actually in Mexico on vacation and I noticed, or actually, no, I had noticed, but I didn't want to say anything. And he said, you know, we've been here for a week and I haven't had anything to drink. And I'm like, I noticed that. So what's up with that? And then he's like, I wanted to see what it would feel like to be on vacation without alcohol. And he goes, and I realized I actually really don't need it. So oh, he hasn't that's so good. I know. That's so good. So he got on board for health reasons. Yeah. And when you realize when you get, it's a lot of times, it's just a habit. And another thing you mm -hmm. said, because I want to ask you some follow-up questions about this, um, is that you just didn't have any role models. And the truth is, there are many, many role models out there of sober people. You just don't know that they're sober people having a good time with their mm -hmm. wild personality and everything else, right? But you don't yeah. know because they're hiding. Because, yeah. you know, AA always told us, we have to be anonymous. And so for many years, and now I think it's time for us to more come out of the closet, so to speak, and show people what active recovery looks like and how, you know, you can lead a full, very fun and um, carefree life if you don't have that alcohol, you know, that drive for alcohol constantly weighing you down um, in so many Absolutely. ways. And there's, there's different levels. Most people think, well, like, I don't like, I don't like the word alcoholic either. I don't even drink. I haven't drank for 36 years. And right. yet there's, you know, there's this, um, and there was a stigma about the disease and stage four alcoholism is very, very hard to come back from. You know, you get wet brain, there's, things that kill your brain cells, right? For years, this poison in your body. It's all kinds of things it can do for you. I actually got sober at 24 years old and was also not, you know, stage four or three or two. I had what lot, some people call a very high bottom, but I had been drinking since I was 12 years old and I used it. I used it to get rid of my inhibitions. I used it to uh, feel smarter, more confident. And I used it to stuff my feelings because I didn't want to feel the pain that I was feeling in a lot of different uh, situations that were happening in my life until it wasn't working for me at all anymore. And it was only bringing me down and I was dependent on it. I was trying to do things different, was trying to create a career for myself. And yet that alcohol, that 
constant need for it and not and planning around it all the time got so tiring not to mention the self-loathing <laughs> and what I did a lot of times when I was out there drinking being drunk and uh, and not being able to control that so anyways I love that you are um, that you didn't have to hit that kind of you know depths of despair bottom uh, but realized that cognitive dissonance and decided to shift into the healthier version of you. So how would you say, if at all, did your personality change or what things changed for you when you got into recovery? I became super boring and no one wanted to know. I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, see that I know I'm laughing. It's like, uh, yeah, no, yeah. I'm sure yeah. your business started to thrive even more, but keep keep going. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, it's so funny. It's well, when I first, I remember very clearly that first week when I, uh, was started my break. Um, I remember thinking it was almost like a mantra I had, I am fully available to the ones I love the most. And so, and that oh. kept me just really feeling grateful for what I was doing as opposed to feeling deprived. And so, um, so yeah, so, and I still keep that. I mean, during all of like the, the kids were still youngish at that time. So, you know, they weren't driving or anything. And I remember feeling so grateful on a Friday night that I was the parent that could drive all the kids to where they needed to go without having that resentment that uh, I could be home drinking or, you know, yes. or out and so on. And, um, so I definitely, as far as personality, I don't know that personality changed as more as just my attitude towards, uh, like you said before, when people, you don't even realize, like so many things in life, you don't realize what it was like until you're no longer doing that. And then you reflect back. And that's when you realize how maybe mentally you were consumed by certain things, or you just had a different perspective. And I think once I stopped drinking and just started um, pivoting in different ways mentally and otherwise I, I, I definitely I, I you know the, the first year is definitely hard because you have to sort of edit a lot of things in your life the people you hang out with the things that you do the things how you choose to spend your um, your time and your energy. And I think for a lot of us, certainly for me, there's a little bit of um, cocooning. And so, uh, so at first I was just doing, you know, I really didn't care if other people were offended or, you know, what they thought or anything. I was just like, you know what, I know for a fact that these people are not what I consider healthy, or I probably hang out, you know, when I was hanging out with them drinking, it was probably not because I wanted to feel more fun. I just wanted them to feel more fun to me. <laughs> you know, so then I started <laughs> yep. realizing that the, the people that I truly feel connected to, and the things that really connect with me, I don't need to drink for or with. And so I, so I was doing that. And then so I also, yeah. Did some of your friendships change? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, literally like there were some people that I never hung out with again. Um, okay. Yes. But then we also, eventually we moved, uh, I don't remember. I think it was like a year and a half 
months after that, that we moved from, we were at the time in Connecticut, which I know um, you're from. Yes. And so, yeah. So Where did we you were live here? here? Um, we were in Southbury. Okay. Yeah. So it was, but I was already, you know, I didn't have this drastic rock bottom, which I think is another thing that is really important to me as you talked about, you know, the whole role model thing is, um, I do feel like I, when I saw the movie Anonymous several years ago, um, a couple of years even before I quit drinking, one thing that they talk about, it's a documentary, and they talk about how the anonymity tradition in the 12 steps has really done a disservice to the movement in general, has created more stigma, has um, basically been detrimental to our public policy and in, you know, having insurance policy, for example, cover things that are more related to substance use disorder, that has really been um, behind because the people who are, are really capable of you know, being advocates and creating change are either staying silent because they're adhering to the program or they're staying silent because of the fear of stigma. And a lot of this is real, you know, the stigma, but unfortunately there is this delay in getting um, policies and, you know, parity and all of that because people aren't speaking up. But then I think there's also a lot of unnecessary suffering and probably death because um, unfortunately, like I said before, we live in this culture that that on the one hand totally glamorizes drinking and says that if you're cool and if you're, you know, celebrating something and blah, 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 here's the latest and greatest, I don't know, spiked seltzer or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. And then craft beers, those are yeah. the main thing now. But then on the other hand, if you have a problem with that, you know, like if you can't handle that, that there is something wrong with you. So now it's like, so then you're being shamed. And yeah. I think that a lot of people, like, especially with the pandemic, I don't know if you've seen this, but the rate of women who are now in the heavy drinking category just since the pandemic has gone up 40%. OMG, wow. Yeah, yeah, and so... So this is something that most people don't know and there's really not enough information. There, I think that I've seen more stuff coming out of mainstream media talking about the perils of drinking and how actually the World Health Organization says now that there is no safe level of drinking, like zero. Whereas before they used to say, oh yeah, one drink a day for women and two for men. And it's like, yeah. Um, but yeah. It, yeah, so yeah. Go ahead. So, so my, one of my questions would be then, um, it doesn't sound like it really affected your personality that much. You embraced it and you started thinking more positively about what you were doing and benefits, but how has it helped you and what benefits, especially if you see that in your career as a, a coach and you, mm -hmm. and you help people in recovery? Are you working with people in recovery? And why do you think you've been able to have you done any sort of a, a program or did you ever go to AA meetings or how did you stay sober? Sure. Um, yeah, so I definitely I'm, I'm trying to remember at the time what I was mostly doing because um, I was basically a stay at home mom for years, but I had these little side gigs. I became a life coach, I don't know, like 10 years ago, 
became certified in yoga uh, as a yoga instructor and then started to go more and more into the more um, mental health sides of things and okay. up until the point where I didn't cross over into counseling because I didn't have that degree. So, um, so I was doing that at the time. And, and so as far as uh, what I do, so I became a recovery coach. So I definitely have worked with people. Um, and you work on yourself of, in the process. Anytime you go right. to school with that sort of thing, you have, there's a lot of internal work that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and I still like, I, when I was about three weeks into my break in sobriety, I did go to, uh, I started going to 12 step meetings, um, part. And I remember this, the main reason I wanted to go to these meetings was because I wanted to find out who else in my town wasn't drinking because like I said, I didn't know. I had one person, um, a friend of mine, she actually, um, she had posted on Facebook a couple years prior that she was X amount of years sober. And I was like, wow. I, and that was actually, that was my, I would say an example of the role model that we're talking about that to me, she was this beautiful, you know, very like put together suburban mom with a great family and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, she's putting out there on Facebook. Well, first of all, I would never have pictured her as having a drinking problem. And then second of all, she's being open about this. So, um, so she actually became my sponsor when I entered the program and I will always be grateful to her for that. And, and that's one of the reasons that I then started doing the same thing on my anniversary dates and being more comfortable being out there because I realized she was somebody who planted a very important seed for me. And yeah. I wanted to pay it forward by doing the same thing. So yeah, I started going to the 12 step stuff. Um, and I really appreciated how it's, uh, like I said, it's a community. It's the most diverse community that I have ever encountered in any other, um, you know, form of the plant on the planet. Uh, and yeah, so I loved that part of it. And then I also loved how, you know, like I, when I describe the community, I, I say they are all the wild, fun people um, <laughs> and they are still wild and fun, but they're no longer causing havoc in the community <laughs> or in their families. So, Very uh, true. Yeah. So it's, so I appreciated that. And then the actual program, the 12 step program, I think is probably the best personal development program out there and it's free. So and it's free. You know, yeah. Yeah. But, and it, and it can take you far into yeah. really learning how to live life on life's terms. Right. Exactly. And not have to use to deal with life on life's mm -hmm. terms, but there's a lot of ways to get sober nowadays. You don't oh, have yeah. to just do that 12 step um, program and there's people like you. So if people well, first, I want to ask you um, one more question before we wrap up. If you were going to give anyone some advice about uh, especially stepping up into the next, you know, sort of highest version of yourself in sobriety, so because you, you wanted to do something bigger with your career, maybe it's getting into leadership, what advice would you have for them? I guess, you know, because we all have fear, right? We all have that sort of imposter syndrome. 
Um, so I would say that if you feel that, then that's totally normal. And what I've learned is that the most successful people in any line of work are also the ones with the biggest imposter syndrome. So if you feel that, then that's not necessarily a barrier. It's just something to recognize. Um, it's a part of you that is trying to protect you from failure. And so it's actually a protective mechanism. But sometimes these parts of us that stand in the way of our going forward and fulfilling our dreams and helping other people and so on, sometimes those parts are just, you know, really outdated. And so we need to practice self-compassion and recognize, oh, this fear, this, you know, whatever it is that's keeping me from stepping up a bit and going to the next step, maybe becoming a little more vulnerable. Um, it's it's a protective mechanism, but mm-hmm. I don't need to listen to it. And so, um, so I would say just if I, I mean, I going back to school now, I've resisted this for years. Um, and so finally, I just, something happened. We were in Puerto Rico and somebody, we were helping out at this um, shelter for abused children. And so the person there said to me, do you know anyone? I'm bilingual. I grew up in Mexico. And oh, okay. so she said, do you know anyone like you bilingual and so on, or speak Spanish, who's also a counselor who can work with children who are survivors of sexual trauma. And in that instance, I thought, I want to be able to say I can do that. Oh, and yes. so, wow, so that's, that's what, yeah. So I, so I, two weeks later, I was applying to grad school. Oh my gosh. That's like, that was an angel for you. Yeah. To, to, you know, when somebody says something like that, it's like, I could do that. And, and the sadness that there's a need for that, you know, that, that is, um, that's powerful. So, oh, I'm so glad that you got into that. And I love your advice because we do all have that inner voice. And a lot of times we're not even aware of it until we quit drinking. Yeah. And that's when the inner critic speaks up a lot and says, right. And it starts really hounding us to do certain things or to stay safe, or you might as well drink. What difference does it make? You know, that sort of thing. Oh, totally. And if you don't listen to that, if you can get past that fear, you basically can accomplish anything you, you put your mind to. Well, so, the part of you that, that, is leading you to drink is probably the part of you that doesn't want you to hear that inner voice because again, mm-hmm. doesn't want you to perhaps fail, Yeah, you know? And so it's, it is again, even the part of you that wants you to drink is trying to protect you. It's just doing it in a way that, you know, we think of self-sabotaging. That's why so many people who they quit drinking, they keep smoking or they quit drinking. They start eating all the cookies Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't address these different parts of ourselves and the fear and um, the shame and all that kind of stuff, then, and for a lot of people, like you said, different paths, you know, I think smart recovery is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mental health counseling, especially because so many women who, who drink problematically and men certainly um, have a history of trauma. And if you don't mm-hmm. address that, you're only going to get so far. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And as you hit any kind of a crisis in your life, all of it comes out and it could be, you know, it could be devastating. So um, I think that's fantastic advice. 
Thank you. And so, Suzanne, how can people reach you and find you online? Um, well, I have a website, therebootcoach.net. Um, and then I'm also, uh, also have a Facebook page, Reboot Coach, but honestly, I'm not that active there. Um, but you can find me there. And then I also, I'm on Instagram as a totally different name, Mindfulpreneur. Okay. All right. Um, I will put those in the show notes. Thank you so much for everything that you shared today. Give, I think, us a lot to think about. And uh, I just love that you didn't have to ruin your life before you realized I am ready to embrace a sober way of living. And uh, you are a great role model for all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learned in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters.